0: This is a color Pencil Podcast, episode number 45.
1: The longer you practice and look for other colors within a color, not just the local color, it gets easier all the time. And you start seeing it automatically. And so the little twinkle colors or little accents, they may like in trees they may not actually be in there when you're looking at the reference i don't see pink i don't see turquoise i don't see orange but think about movement to me the reason i call them twinkle is because they to me they feel like the ends of leaves quaking
0: Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I am joined by my co-host, Lisa Clough of Lockery Fine Art. How are you, Lisa?
2: I'm good. How are you doing? Never better. Me too.
0: <laughs> what a smart Alec! <laughs> You're so bad. <laughs> this is a show about the art of colored pencils where we discuss tips, techniques, shortcuts, and all the nitty-gritty of this medium that we love so much. So, Lisa, who are we talking to today?
2: We are talking to artist Debbie Hook.
0: Yeah, Debbie owns a frame shop and she's been doing that for years and she has a lot of great information to share about things to consider when you're framing your own artwork.
2: She's also got a lot of tips for us today on just creating artwork in general. This is going to be a great show.
0: Lisa, I have to tell you she's been she's one of my favorite people, one of the first people that I've ever interacted with whenever I came to this medium and so sharing and so easy to talk to, a uh, bubbling personality. That's awesome. So, Debbie, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
1: Glad that you asked me.
0: What got you started in colored pencil? I see from your website. I mean, you've you've covered a lot of different mediums you've been involved in. Uh, oils, watercolor, pastels, what drew you to colored pencil?
1: Well, I've always had a desire. I've just tried to experience different mediums, mm-hmm. but I think my my greatest love is, is just actual drawing. Um, and when I uh, was introduced to colored pencil by a local artist who was trying his hand at it, uh, it just became just – an immediate love affair. Uh, it, it lets me experience that tight rendering of drawing with um, the meaning you know being able to apply color to that. So if I were to um, say which I'd like graphite drawing or the colored pencil, I'd probably lean to the colored pencil uh, watching the, uh, the way the colors blend together uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I do that I do a burnish style it's almost like an an amazement that brings great joy to me when i when i see these colors building up and blending and kind of pushing around um and i can manipulate that so
0: so the one i took a workshop of yours and that was one of the best things ever i had so much fun and it was just uh, packed to the gills i remember just being in awe at this process that you do that You achieved this realism, but you, you, had, you had such a different way of explaining everything that really was accessible. As I don't know how else to describe it. But you, you used this approach where you talked about the, the way that you hold the pencil. You said you have this baton uh, hold on the pencil where you have this overhand approach to it. Correct. Um, and then you used sort of this little scribble. And, and you talk about twinkle colors. and I mean, you have a lot of good terms that, that you like to use. And you um, can
1: hear me talk about watercolor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, people really resonate with that. I mean, it makes sense. You make it accessible. You make it fun. And you make it easy. Um, you break down these – they can be difficult and boring concepts in such a way that people can just kind of understand it and have fun with it.
3: Well, I'm, I'm how do you that,
0: how do you do that? I mean, what is this a conscious effort or is this just your personality and your and well, just the way you are? Part
1: of, I think it's part of my personality because uh, when I learn something that's new, I really want to know the why, mm-hmm. how it works. I want to know everything under it. So, that, other than just techniques so I can make. More my own decisions, uh, right? With whatever it is, I'm I'm learning, and so I tend to. I tell people I spill my guts. Uh, I appreciate people who are who want to understand the depths of things, and uh, will put up with me being every little tiny
3: tip that I can give them. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love the. The landscapes. I mean, they're. If you go up real close and examine your landscapes very close to the paper, uh, you can see a lot of pencil strokes, and and uh, it's not as detailed as you might think. When you step back, it's extremely detailed, and and that's something that I I don't know. I just don't see that real often. It it more closely resembles a, an oil painting to me when I'm looking at it. Because yeah. of, of that kind of uh, approach that you have where you're you're getting uh, the basic shapes and, and the movement in there and, and the colors. But you're not so much concerned about every little tiny detail. You're concerned about the overall, it, it appears, anyway.
1: Right. I, I really believe uh, there's – you can go extremely detailed and – show every little movement or you can be very suggestive in any kind of medium artwork that you're working on. Mm -hmm. I really think that allowing the viewer to finish putting together the picture, that's why you were saying, you know, you come up close and you can, you know, really scrutinize and see strokes and, and type thing. But when you move it away, it comes, comes together. I mean, so many artists that I admire from, you know, uh, Our masters, Mm -hmm. uh, they were they were so good at that of just when you get up to it, you just see a stroke of paint.
3: Right. You know, but when you
1: back off, it's it just feels like it's so realistic. Yeah. And uh, it's it's allowing I think it allows the viewer to be interactive then with your art.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not it doesn't have this um, this tight kind of uh, feel to it. And, and I think that was one thing that made it kind of fun in your workshop is that I didn't feel like I had to be perfect at every little thing. And right. it still, and and the way you were able to break those concepts down into these bite-sized chunks made it where I felt like I could still do that. And I, and I did, I was able to achieve what I, what I wanted to, but I, I didn't feel stressed. You know, I think you can get, you can get too detailed and too exact, with a prescriptive process and it it just induces stress sometimes when when you do that
2: yeah as you're talking i'm sitting here looking at this there's a landscape the what is it a valley mountain land, lake it yes. is just stunning. The way that you've blurred out, out different areas, and you're really controlling the viewer where they're they're guided into this piece. It's just so beautifully done. Your contrast, your lighting, everything is just so stunning. That that piece is quite small.
1: That's that's about a five by. Seven oh, you're right. I didn't even six. notice
2: the size. Yeah, four by six. Yeah.
0: Which one is that? What's it, what's it look like? You guys want to follow along? It's DebbieHook.com.
1: It's uh, called Matsue Valley.
2: One, two, three, four. Oh, five, I found six, it. I found seven, it. Yes, I've seen
0: that in person. Beautiful. Yeah. What What is, if if you can indulge us for just a moment, Debbie, what is, if you can sum up your approach a little bit in landscapes, what would you say that is?
1: Approach. Okay. I'm going to have to think about that. I just, I mean, there's not a lot of
0: people doing landscapes, at least in colored pencil that, that I see.
1: There's not, but it's growing. Uh, uh-huh. There's some artists out there I'm starting to admire, and they're using some different techniques, and I'm like, okay, I want to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but and, and I'm still experimenting with different techniques,
3: yeah,
1: in in doing landscapes. So it's a work in progress right now.
3: Yeah. But
1: what I started out with is pretty much the same way I approach any color pencil work. And that's with using the light layers and building it up. And then the things, the tips that I gave, like the baton hold,
3: Mm -hmm. um,
1: when I would start trying to render the edges of trees against the sky, uh, I found I wanted to be too controlled with the the point of my pencil, Mm -hmm. and I just did this automatic flip, not even realizing it, and put the pencil in my hand in that particular hold, like a, you know, an orchestra conductor would hold a baton. And all at once I, it was a way to lose some control, but right. yet create those lacy edges of foliage and be more spontaneous. So, you know, I kind of try, I try to stay aware of things just like when I'm, Working with my pencil, sharp points are so important on color pencil work. Uh, it gives you more control uh, than anything. And it, I've always tell my students: if you find that you're having to keep applying pressure to get color to show up on the paper, that means your pencil's not sharp enough.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because in the very beginning, you have to have that sharp point to get down into the tooth of that paper. And uh, I uh, I found out that. I was automatically rolling the pencil in my hand to, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll kind of flatten out as you're working on it. Mm -hmm. And when I would roll it in my hand, it'd give me a sharper point. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so those are the kind of things that I kind of become self-aware of. That's what I pass on to, to students. You know, I've seen a lot of teachers who just kind of say, well, just do this. And you're like, well, I can't seem to do that. Uh, but they don't know how else to help you give you other suggestions on how to duplicate what they're working on. So, or the way they're working. So I, I just, I'm always aware of some of those things, uh, um,
0: yeah, I agree with How you I on tilt that. How I my that's,
1: paper, you know, yeah. what I do with the pencil in my hand. Yeah, all but, those
0: know, little so things are are important, and yeah. and you're right. It, I, I got to tell you, it never helps me when when a when a teacher or instructor says, "Look at your reference." I'm like, okay, yeah,
2: <laughs> do you think I, I wasn't looking? People. look at the reference photo. Does that look like what you're drawing? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, but, <laughs> but I mean. But no, okay. but, but I
0: mean you're so right you you do have to look at it but I mean it, to not ever give any other instruction you know what I mean just yeah. to say well, I mean, look at it I mean but and that that is the one thing I, I do recall that you. You do have all these little tips, and they're, they're so granular. I mean, it's at this micro level that you can share all these little things, and you never stop. I mean, you just keep saying all these things that that help, and it's just like tips that, that you're um, flooded with. One of the things I remember you saying that really stuck with me, that really helped me quite a bit, I think the way you explained it made more sense than what I've ever heard it uh, described before. And that was that you look at something and try to find, you find a twinkle color and that you find the color that is more obscure and try to bring that out. And and it takes a while to look and find that I, you said it better than I. Did. I, well, I really botched that. You say it for us
2: now because I have yeah. no idea
1: what John well, <laughs> right now. I don't know that I could say it word for word, but um, <laughs> basically, I I have found myself over time as I I'm you know working on things of seeing these colors like you said a little more obscure. Mm-hmm. People, you know, I've had say, well, I can't see that. Where is that? And then I kind of start pointing something out and then, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of see that.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, My experience is the longer you work in search and, and for other colors within a color, then the longer you practice and look for other colors within a color, not just the local color, it gets easier all the time and you start seeing it automatically. And so the little twinkle colors or little accents, they may, mm-hmm. like in trees, they may not actually be in there. When you're looking at the reference, I don't see pink, I don't see turquoise, I don't see orange, but think about movement. To me, the reason I call them twinkle is because they to me, they feel like the ends of leaves quaking mm-hmm.
3: hmm.
1: because of that twinkle. And it to me, it creates an energy Opposed to the actual color that exists within that piece—that's the twinkle part. Mm, mm-hmm. um, that, but that, the neat. transition of, of one color to another—that's one of the most exciting things. I I just love to do. I get all wrapped up in in doing soft edge transitions.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: do you have a subject that just makes you super excited when you get ready to start? Like I'm doing flowers today, I know I'm gonna be really excited about this. Or are you pretty all over the board on what you like to work on?
1: Well, as you can see on my website, I'm pretty much all over the board. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm drawn to light a lot. And almost every piece that I have done actually exists, especially in landscape. Um, the first when I first started doing color pencil. It was flowers. I, because, and that, that was where that gentle transition of colors within a petal, you know, you, you go along and you'll see maybe a little pink and then a little green, and, you know, you'll see this movement of colors. And that, that was where I started. But I never seemed, the audience that I had then didn't seem to respond to florals all that much. And it, it wasn't necessarily that they weren't responding to mine, it just, florals don't captivate people. They mm-hmm. say, oh, that's nice, that's pretty, and they move on. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's so, me. That's me yeah, with flowers. <laughs> that's you with flowers? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy looking at them, but only for a second.
1: <laughs> right. And, and, that, and that's kind of over the years kind of what I felt. So I kind of moved away from flowers, even though they were a passion of mine. And um, I'm really drawn into the, the still lifes that have those super dark backgrounds like the old masters where,
3: mm-hmm. you know, you
1: have edges of the subject that move and you just disappear into the background. So the the when I started doing that, that was um, when life hands you lemons.
2: I'm looking at that one right now. Yeah. Wow. The, the lighting it, is just breathtaking on
1: that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With that particular piece, the thing that I knew from the very beginning, the background was done first before anything else and I knew that what I had to do with that background is I wanted to make a general transition from the darks into a lighter dark and I wanted them to be trans uh to go from a, a warm into a cool so I, I was all about this movement of value and and temperature once I had that background done, the rest of it was easy. That background took me as long as the whole subject matter
2: on that piece. That doesn't surprise me looking at this.
0: But it does get, convey that. Uh, I mean, you do have that soft transition there that is very yeah. moving, very powerful.
2: you definitely love- accomplished that. You're
1: good yeah. there. That's- Thank you. I love edges. I, I like a variety of edges, uh, soft and hard edges
3: Mm -hmm, and
1: -hmm. lost and found edges. Mm -hmm.
0: That's
1: that captivates me.
0: Now, one of the things I remember also that um, that you teach is that uh, and and, uh, there's a lot of people that don't quite get this. If you use a color up in your your foliage, let's say for a landscape and then you're down in, uh, you know, you're in the top right corner, then down in the bottom left it doesn't hurt to put a little tiny bit of whatever that color is over in that other area, even though it's not a dominant color.
1: Exactly. I love I, that. I, I really believe in order to start creating unity of your entire yeah. piece
3: yeah. that
1: you need those colors need to exist at least three three different places. I mean more, but <laughs> I try to challenge people, at least use it three different places. If you introduce a new color to a piece, you put it someplace else in that painting.
2: That is such yeah. a good tip. And
0: well, it creates cohesiveness in yeah. your piece. It's a good way
2: to put it. No, I, I'm always telling people that, but the way you've worded it simplifies it so yeah. much that I think everyone will remember. Yeah. If you've got a new color, have it in at least three other or in at least three locations. That is yeah. such a good tip.
0: I know. That's the thing. She she knows these little things like that. She does these little I don't know how she does that. Yeah, three three places. I mean,
2: I say that all the time, but I take two and a half minutes to do so. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us give
0: us some more of those, Debbie. Come on, <laughs> you said you spill your guts about this stuff. <laughs> uh, that's
2: just such a good tip. We need to get you know what you ought to do is start getting some of these quotes on your website. Yeah, quick little things that people Pretty. can retweet and just that is that's right. <laughs> I'm all excited about that tip. That is just such a simple way of wording what I take a lot longer to to explain. Well, you know, they're not original. Yeah, but you've worded it in a really simple way. <laughs> it's not original when I say it either. It's just a lot longer. <laughs> Yours is so much better. Well, I,
1: uh, you know, I've had many teachers and and I just absorb what they say. I can remember some of the first classes that I that took. They were drawing and watercolor and the art, uh, Teacher, he would go around and see every student and critique. I kept my ears open. I would listen to everybody he talked to. And that is where I gained so much knowledge, not just what he had to say to me, which usually Mm -hmm. wasn't a whole lot, but I listened to his suggestions and tips to everybody else.
0: Okay, so if somebody wanted to start in landscape colored pencils what kind of tips would you would you give them
1: have a reference photo don't make it up out of your head why not you're you can't contain all that information you're to i tell my youngest students our brains are computers they're like computers they have symbols for everything we come in contact with if you say draw an apple your mind will come up and draw a circle image of an apple and it won't be one bit it'll represent an apple yes but if you took an actual apple and really looked at it you are going to see flat sides and lopsidedness and everything else so you need to have a reference photo just making it up out of your mind is unless you are into kind of a fantasy type of thing you're just not going to have the uh image that you want Mm -hmm. to come you know that you're you're expecting the outcome of right um that's great and don't stop you know every piece that you do is going to be better than the last one that you did so don't think the first one that you ever do oh gee well i can't do this do another do another do another
0: Well, I think what sets your landscapes apart a little bit, for me at least, is the composition. So can you say something about that?
1: Well, composition is, is to me, key in everything. And uh, it's a pretty complex subject, and it didn't come to me right away, uh, a slight intuitiveness about it. But here again, I learned from other people on good composition and probably one of the most important things to me is variety uh in your shapes have a mama bear or have a papa bear a mama bear and a baby bear or if you were thinking of a stage that what you would do is you have the main player you have the supporting role and you have then the extras so you know know what your focal point is Uh, where you want the viewer to go, and that would be your papa bear or your main player. And then the other things around it support it. Uh,
0: There she goes again. I love that.
1: How do you do that? (laughs) Just take take
0: a nursery rhyme and (laughs) apply it to art. That is awesome. Um, Well,
1: someone applied it to me, and it made me understand. I said, yeah, I got it. Yeah. So I, I passed
0: that on. One of the other ones that I, I, we'll get off this. I'm sorry we're taking so long on this. I just, I just love this, this kind of, of um, colored pencil work. Uh, Breaking Dawn is another landscape that I saw, I had the privilege of seeing in person. And that one, I just could not stop looking at it. I would look at it and then I'd walk away and then I'd come back to it. And it is so simple. It is. But it is so it is. complex too. And that's the thing that just—I just could not believe how you could l- see something like that and decide that would make a good composition and a good a good drawing. But that—that is—that's well, one that, of my favorites right there.
1: That would be because every morning when I wake up, I get to see that out my front window.
0: Oh yeah! It, when I looked at it, I'm like, I know what that is immediately. I mean, it—it's something that. I mean it's it's just like driving on the on the road and seeing that on a country road even you know I mean it's just something you see all the time in yeah. your mind but you never think about that as being something beautiful.
1: Yeah, I live in the country and so that's farmland and we have the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets the location of our house it just I mean it's not any place special but we just get some of the most brilliant colors yeah. And that little, that tree that's off to the right is just an old scrubby hedgerow tree.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but it was the perfect thing to bring to the foreground to give depth to, you know, that right. back part, of uh, you know, where the sun is setting. And then you've got the, beyond the field, you got the woods that are there. So, you know, like I said, I see that almost every sunrise morning when we have a beautiful sunrise. Ah. And finally, I said, I got to do that.
0: love it all right well i guess we need to kind of move on here a little bit you own a frame shop right and you run this frame shop can you talk to us a little bit about considerations that a colored pencil artist should have or any artist in general when we start framing our work
1: okay um i was trained as an artist by an artist that your framing can make or break your art You can take a mediocre piece of art and do a very complimentary, uh, supportive framing design around that art. And, and, And usually it's very simplistic and enhance it. Or you can take a beautiful piece of art and put a substandard or something that doesn't really quite bring out the artwork and you will pull it down. And so I, I worked in a gallery in Cincinnati for about eight years and I learned in that how to to find the best matte colors to, and frames to go with the artwork. It's a process. Usually one customer takes about an hour uh, to work with that customer until you get to know them and they trust you and they say, okay, they leave it with you and say, just do it. And I've had that happen. But for color pencil artists, um, it is so important because works on paper, and this would be for watercolor or pastel, works on paper really need to be protective. And the framing that I do is a conservation custom framing. It's all about preserving and protecting what you're framing. And I've taken apart so many pieces of, a frame, you know, it was done by professional framers where this was not a consideration. They've put cardboard behind it. That is one of the most destructive elements you can put into a frame package uh, that will eventually make that artwork crisp and crumbly. Um, so using acid-free conservation mats and the backing, any filler that's in that needs to be acid-free in order to preserve that piece and let that piece of artwork last for years. It costs a little bit more, but it is well worth it. I have seen spots of acid burn come through artwork in probably as little as three to five years. Wow. Yeah.
3: And how, some- how
1: long? Some will last a long time, but when you take something out of the frame package, you'll see the acid burn all the way around the edge.
0: So if we use acid-free materials, how long should we expect our artwork to last? Forever. So what what uh, quick tips would you give somebody if they're framing their own um, art?
1: Okay, if you're doing your own framing, um. Uh, One is make sure it's acid-free materials. Mm -hmm. There are mat boards out there that say acid-free, but they are not rag or conservation mats. So you've got to be aware of that. Just because it says acid-free, that means only the backing paper could be acid-free, or they have used a chemical to buffer the fibers of that board. So you want it to be conservation or rag and Crescent and Bainbridge are two companies that you know I use, and they make an excellent product. They also make the uh, you know manufacture the other uh, regular mat boards. So be familiar with that. Um, for your backing for the inside package, you want acid free. It can be mat board, it can be an acid free foam core, and you'll know you have acid free foam core when it doesn't feel slick. Regular foam core is slick. Acid-free is not. It feels like paper. And then there is another, there is a corrugated, which looks like cardboard, except it is archival and it's blue. And a lot of uh, museums and things will use uh, that particular product. But it also says that it's an archival um, backing. Now, that's just in the package. So then you have the glazing, which is the glass or the acrylic Um, it used to be to purchase glass that blocked UV rays was quite pricey Um, the market and the demand for that has changed and now they have conservation glass that blocks UV rays it looks like regular glass. That is my standard of glass now I do not use regular glass any longer. I just use the conservation clear. Then there's also a glass that is called museum glass, which doesn't look like it has any glass on it at all. Now, it doesn't block any more UV rays than the clear, but you ju- it does. It's amazing. It doesn't look like there's glass. On f- in front of the piece. Everything's just beautifully clear that you're it's, looking at.
0: It's so expensive, though.
1: It is very. That is about four times the price of the conservation clear. I've had some customers that said because they had uh, a historical document or a piece of original art or something that like that, that they wanted to not have that glass glare, and so they have chosen that. But most people are they're used to looking at glass on a piece and they're they're very happy with, you know, yeah, the you know, what looks like regular glass is fine. What you don't want to use is non glare. Non glare, the UV rays actually go into the glass and bounce around on the inside because it can't get out, and it can cause more damage than just regular glass.
2: Oh, that so is good to know. Don't
1: Use non glare. <laughs>
2: hmm. Now, here's a question for you. I guess I'm being greedy and I'm like, yes, I've got a framer I can really ask a question about. I love working with ink tents, they're not yes. light fast at all. How yes. much is the UV glass really going to protect those? 99.7%. Will it make that big of a difference with those? Yeah. I've and heard you're people talking- saying that they faded in their their sketchbook, and I've heard all these wh- – I've never seen it, but I've heard well, people comment on that. So, I'm like,
1: cause, oh. Well, as far as – now, as far as that claim, you know, I, I really can't testify to that. But yeah. um, you would have to do your own, you know, light-fast testing on all of that. But as far as the UV rays being able to penetrate the glass to cause any fading, then um, – that is, I mean, that's what TrueView, uh, which is the brand I use, it is 99.7% blocking of UV rays. Um, I don't use ink tents. So I don't, I've got them, but I don't use them that much. So I'm not sure how, you know, uh, about that claim. Yeah. I, do I
2: actually did brass- get a piece of UV, or a small UV glass, or I had the where I teach, they made me a, a frame for it, a little one to test myself. I haven't I figured I'll do it this summer when we actually have sunlight.
1: Yeah. So
2: I'll be trying it out to see if I can really keep it from fading with if that makes a big difference with that, because they have such a bad reputation with that. But
1: Okay, that yeah. would I'd be really interesting to know about that. That would Yeah, be- I'll
2: let you know. I'm gonna let everyone know. I'll make a video talking yeah. about it and what a difference. That in the graphy tint was the other one that a lot of people said faded within a sketchbook. So I'm like, ooh, yes. that's a little
1: scary. Uh, to me, I think the graphite had more of that uh, ability to fade than the ink tints.
0: Now, the I, I just want to make a careful distinction between color fastness and what we're talking about with protection with maybe a conservation clear or a museum glass. Because it could be that, and I think I think you you both were talking about this, but I just wanted to say this for the audience's sake more than anything else. That Debbie there's, so she'll
2: know how to say it really fast. Oh, I want to hear what John has to say. She wants to hear a
0: history <laughs> lesson, okay? <laughs> the distinction that I was trying to point out here is that there could be, there's this difference between, and I, I think we were using some of these Uh, We were talking about this a little bit here in this discussion about color fastness, about the permanence of the medium to the paper. And then we're also talking about a protection of the color on the paper. I I guess my only point about that is you can use conservation clear and museum glass or whatever you want to use. And if you're using a medium, that's going to fade anyway. It's going to fade anyway, regardless of what UV protection you've given it. You know, I, I just wanted to point that out.
1: The, yeah, and i are talking about
0: think, two different things there a little bit. Well,
1: I think you're you're hitting on something that's good because uh, many artists um, they are at the point now with color pencils that they're realizing that not all color pencils are permanent or uh, have good light fastness, and so they are going to uh, and and all brands have different levels. I mean, not not you don't take one brand and say, well, none of them are because they have some that are light fast, but then some of their pencils aren't light fast. And so they're going to brand say the reds and the, and the pinks and the purples seem to be the most fadeable, And they're going to pencil brands that don't, that have a good light fastness rating. So by putting them, um, I'll just, I started saying that I, you, you see Jessica's Dahlia there uh, that, piece image is on a full-size sheet of Stonehenge, which is probably what, I don't know how big that is, 22 by whatever a full sheet is. That was done before I knew about lightfastness. But I'm so thankful that I, it's so large that I used actually a conservation clear um, acrylic on it because it was so large and be would be too heavy with right with the glass in there so i have to say that was created about 10 years ago 12 years ago and it still looks the way it did when it was originally done and according to what i have heard others say about the colors, because it's a lot of pinks, a lot of magentas, a lot of reds, that they would start disappearing by now
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if
1: they were under regular glass. So just from that, I can see in a 10-year span that the conservation has made a difference with that piece. I saw another piece that I did, and I had given it uh, to a family member, and here again was before I knew about the light fastness and it was under regular glass and it was a gladolia, uh, done in peaches and apricot kind of colors. And the last time I saw it, it was about halfway disappeared. Wow. Oh Wow. It was uh. almost, it was, had faded that much. And, and people think that's going to fade. And this is something s- someone made a comment on, uh, that has that done a lot of testing, uh, of their own colors. And they said they don't – you think that they just get lighter in color. So they don't. They just disappear. Yeah. And that was like an aha moment for me going, oh, I really need to consider this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's the materials. If, if you're serious about your art, that's the materials you should be working with.
0: So that had to do with how that person had it framed, right? Is that what you're saying? I mean, no. other than the materials. that
1: No. It, she was doing her own uh, color uh, Light fastness test.
0: Oh, okay. okay. She was I doing
1: you. her own. Yeah. And that's what she found. And she teaches a lot. And uh, she would then show her students. She'd have these swatches that she did and she'd show her students and said, they don't just fade, they disappear.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, that made the impact. And just her telling that story made the impact to me and right. how important in color pencil work that you work with material, your color pencils, and should be light fast that you work with, as well as putting it under UV blocking glazing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um and the other thing is I mean how cost prohibitive is doing a good framed piece I mean it throw out the museum glass but if we go with conservation clear what about the foam board and the the uh mat and all of that I mean if we're framing like let's just say a a, a 9 by 12 or something like that how much would would we expect to pay for some, and not a real frilly uh, frame, not gold or anything, but maybe just a basic black or gray or something, something neutral? How much would we expect to to pay for something like that, and where well, could we find these materials if we're trying well, to frame it ourselves?
1: If you're trying to frame it yourself, there's a lot of online companies that you know, like I, I can't remember exactly the name, but. It's got the name American in it. But anyway, a lot of people will order their frames from there. Uh, but they also sell matboard. mat board. The biggest thing is, is a lot of times they won't ship. You don't want to ship one sheet of mat board because it's a 32 by 40 sheet and it'll get damaged. Yeah. A lot of these places won't ship less than than uh, 10 sheets. If you've got a local framer who is willing, you know, I've done this for people before, um, who is willing to sell you uh you know, map board. They they get it from a supplier, and you know, right, right. You got a buddy there that you know that works, um, but you just got to know the product you're looking for. It you know with with the web, uh, you can find anything that you want. You just have to know how to term it. And so, conservation and rag are two important terms. Um, right. When you're looking at, you don't want just acid-free. If it says it's conservation board, it is acid-free. If it says it's rag, it is acid-free. It's made from 100% cotton fibers when it says rag. Um I don't good. know if that answers your question or not. No, that's not.
0: good. I, I, I like that. Um, you need to but, live just about 20 minutes closer to my house, though, too, <laughs> so I can drive over there and have you frame my stuff.
1: Well, I, one thing I would miss saying, too, is, you know, if telling uh, one framer is going to charge different than another. They're going to be close. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people, uh, I don't have a problem with them going to the big box stores, you know, and when they come into my shop and, and when I'm talking to them, I'm more about educating them. That, yeah. That's what I want to do is educate them on what they're shopping for. And if they decide they want to go there because they're giving a 60% off sale, I want to tell them, just make sure the materials they're using, you know what they are. All they have to do is look on the back of that mat board sample, that corner sample, and you can read right on the back of that corner sample that they have. Pick it up, read it, and you can see is it just say acid free does it say conservation does it say rag you know because yeah. not everybody who frames in those big box stores have an understanding of a conservation framing
0: but when you get your piece back and it's sealed on the back how do we know what's inside there i mean you have to know we,
1: before you buy it
0: yeah i mean we're just trusting that they're going to, to use conservation materials when you we are. ask for them
3: uh,
1: for, the, for the most part, one telltale sign is when you're looking at something that's framed and, you know, has a bevel edge. Now, this isn't always true because there are boards that have colored cores.
3: Yeah. But
1: if you look at the core on that cut beveled edge and it's kind of tan
3: mm-hmm.
1: or a creamy color opposed to white, the white, the the tan, and the cream are not acid free.
3: Mm, okay,
1: they so, they have, may have a b- acid backing, but they don't yeah. have acid free cores.
0: Are you competitive with the uh, big box stores?
1: Um, I
0: pricing wise,
1: I don't shop them, and you know, test yeah. the market. I'm.
0: I like small shops myself anyway. I'd rather go to a small shop. I I have
1: low overhead. I try to keep my prices affordable for my market around here. Right. Uh, I don't have people, you know, fainting in front of me (laughs) (laughs) when I tell them the price. (laughs) (laughs) For me, like your nine by twelve would probably run somewhere, depending on you know if you do two mats and what your frame is, because frame costs keep going up uh, for the actual frame itself. Right. Um, usually between a hundred to hundred and twenty-five dollars.
0: Well, that's that isn't bad. Okay, that and
1: that's with conservation glass.
0: That's awesome. That's some really good information, Debbie. Thank you so much for that. What is your current role with the National CPSA Board, Debbie?
1: Uh, I am the convention director uh, on the national board. Um, I'm the one who brings all the logistics together for the conventions that we have.
0: How long have you been doing that?
1: Uh, I will, this year, will be doing my third convention.
0: Are you enjoying that, I guess?
1: Oh, immensely. Yes. (laughs) That's good. I can't say enough good about the CPSA. Um, There is no other that I know of art organization that does for its members as much as CPSA does for Color Pencil. They test the product to make, you know, on that light fastness issue. Uh, They're always looking for new ways, new techniques, bringing new artists, new to the workshops, new experiences, Uh, We're expanding, you know, beyond uh, what we've ever done in the past as far as techniques and surfaces and applications. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everybody can kind of get who attend those workshops um, could kind of get their hands on some new way of doing color, working with color pencil and not invest a whole lot and say, yeah, I like it or no, I don't
0: yeah yeah that, that is a pretty neat thing that you're, uh, that they are doing those workshops and, and trying to push um, the, the limits on the support that's being used, the, the types of uh, um, surfaces that we draw on. I really like that.
1: Yeah. Um, color pencil artists are actually the ones who are pushing that limit. They're, yeah. you know, from the time when I was first introduced to color pencil, you only worked on paper. Mm-hmm. And now they're working paper, wood, mylar. They're working on you know uh, such a stone, stone property, yeah. yes, such a variety of surfaces and techniques.
0: Mylar, yeah. So you mentioned testing. I just want to ask you about that for a moment. We did a show not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and we talked about the Polychromos pencils. And uh, we, I looked at the uh, the workbook for the light fast ratings that the cpsa has for the polychromos line and it was it was way out of date it was back in 98 or 99 something like that if i recall i wasn't aware of it during the show someone pointed it out to me later that page and it was it was out of date do you know i mean this this may not be something that you're aware of but do you know if they have if they're planning on updating that anytime soon and can you tell us anything about the light fast uh testing that they do and uh maybe some science behind how do do they perform these tests or anything
1: well that's not my expertise at all i have seen um the wool cards that they use to compare uh the you know how much it's faded, and mm-hmm. it's a very long process. Um, that's why you know you're talking out of date. It doesn't surprise me, but they are always retesting, uh, trying to get, bring things up to date. But because it's such a long period, it is of time, a long have process.
0: To, yeah, yeah, yeah. To expose
1: right. these these test cards and. Uh, it depends on the, the area of the country that they're being tested in. Because if you got a lot of rainy, cloudy days, of course they're not going to get as much exposure. And plus, think about all of the new brands of color pencil that have come on the market,
3: right, right,
1: over that over that period of time. And that just requires even more testing. So, it, like I said, it's it is quite slow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: but at least the color pencil society is doing that the watercolor society doesn't do that you know of course acrylics are pretty stable but you know none of those mm-hmm. other art societies actually test the product for the artist you know because they're we're concerned about that we want our artwork to last for generations
0: Now there's a couple of conventions that go on, maybe three, I guess, uh, now uh, per year. But you're not conventions; I misspoke. um, Contests, but you are. You're you're part of the annual convention that national exhibition, right? That's
1: correct. Yes.
0: What would you tell anyone who has never entered that exhibition and they're thinking about doing that?
1: Enter. You you just you do not know the mind of the judge. Uh, they did for one of the Saturday events years ago I attended they did a mock judging p- panel it was one of the most interesting things they had they had four of our outstanding artists on this panel and we sat in the gallery behind and they put images uh, some selected images of artwork uh, on the screen and the judges had microphones and we then listened to their comments and conversations amongst each other as to each piece that went up and how they um, were, they took, there was one piece that was when you first saw it, it's like, Oh no. But the more Mm -hmm. you looked at it, the more fascinating it was and it wound up being the piece that they would give the best of show to. Oh, wow! And so that, that was just, I would love for them to do that again. I found that just such That's an really enlightening thing. Cool. So yeah. you don't know what's in a judge's mind. You know, we're all very personal beings and, you know, they, the judges try not to have selective taste, you know, that fit into what their wheelhouse is. They choose a judge and, it, you know, that has a lot of accreditation, hmm Just enter. hmm
3: hm.
1: You might surprise yourself.
0: How long have you been teaching colored pencil? Oh,
1: dear. Um, I, uh, I'm not good with that. <laughs> 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 okay, when was that? Uh, I've been probably the most active with doing workshops it has been the last three years, but I was doing private lessons before that. Okay. Uh, for maybe about three or four. So, maybe about gotcha. eight years. I don't Yeah. Know.
0: How many do you teach a year? I mean, like this year, how many do you think you're going to be teaching?
1: Well, I, I, I think as far as workshops, um, I'm pretty much probably ran that course. Um, I taught three of them last year. Uh, three you taught,
0: different. You colors. taught one today, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a baby one. I do okay ones, and uh, I just I just call those baby workshops. Okay, uh, but it, it was I didn't really consider it a workshop. It was just yeah, kind of
0: demonstration.
1: Demonstration. That would yeah. be that's a good term. But um, I I really enjoy. I'm constantly teaching um, private color pencil lessons. And if somebody comes up to me and says, I want to learn to do color pencil, they've just opened up a can of worms.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> because I'll, I, I'll sit them down and I will just give them every bit of information. I give the, show them sample surfaces. I show them sample pencils. Here, try it. See how it feels. You know, we, we just uh, yeah. I cover every inch that I can related to color pencil that I know of.
0: What are your favorite pencils?
1: Well, I am a Prismacolor person.
0: Okay. What is your favorite? Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: In spite of the issues, and it it really, when when a lead breaks, you know, breaks away, it just, oh, I just cringe. In fact, I have all these little (laughs) saved up tips of pencils. (laughs) Have you
0: you tried some of the other brands? I mean, like... um, Okay, like, like the Luminance, you, yeah. you just don't like them?
1: No, I have them. Uh, and I am starting to use them more because of their light fast ratings. Right. And the, to me, I think what I'm finding I'm not crazy about, uh, and I found this with the Color Soft, is the thickness of the pencil. I like the thinner pencil. I, I've got the Caran d'ache, and I'm, I'm probably not saying it correctly. The, the polys in that. Uh, I've got the polychromos. Uh, here again, I've not used as much because that's kind of when I've got the thickness of that pencil. Uh, the size of the pencil just isn't as comfortable in my hand as the smaller one. Uh, but I feel that I have found the Luminous are very creamy, like the Prismas. And that that I like. I like a waxy pencil. I don't like the drier ones so much. I'll use them for color blocking uh, yeah. when I'm working on a piece. But when I start laying down the color, it's going to be a nice waxy uh, Prisma or, like I said, I am switching some to the luminous. But
0: uh, now, are you talking I'm, about the Pablos, the Caran d'Ache Pablos? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. Because we were talking about the luminance. Okay, gotcha. Now, those have those the hexagon um, yeah. barrel on those, and they are a little bit smaller. I I, I like those a lot, but yeah. I prefer a larger barrel myself, usually. Yeah. I don't know why, but...
1: And I've tried the Brunzeal. I like the Brunzeal yeah. pencils. They feel yep. good in my hands.
0: I like those. Okay, so we know you like Stonehenge. What other support do you like?
1: Well, I've been experimenting with supports uh, a lot. I've seen a lot of artists who use um, um, illustration board. Uh, at this point, I've not found that I care for that. It's it's too hard, too rigid. Um, so I've done the limited. I've tried the sanded surfaces, the UR, the sanded surfaces.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're okay, but, you know, it's just not my thing. It's, it doesn't right. allow me to have that delicate rendering Mm -hmm. um that i like so i am
0: you like stonehenge i I am stonehenge person i still i still i still prefer stonehenge for now
1: you know that's why my students i say try this pencil i've got all these different brands and try this see how it feels see how you like it uh today one of our artists uh in our chapter meeting he uses the coley race and he likes getting his um under paintings done in cold race before he puts his his uh, color, other colors on top. So you know, and here again, that's that kind of mapping process.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. I always use the color race for my layout, but I, that's as far as it goes because I nearly erase the whole thing after I'm done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, man, they're just they have this weird kind of feel to them. I I feel like when you're laying them down on top they're of each other, they're a
1: little gritty. They have a little bit yeah, of
0: a and they're yeah. I don't know what it is. They they don't. They just don't feel like a colored pencil too much to me. They don't blend together very well. Uh, no, that's because they don't that. have
3: too
1: much wax in them. I mean, they're
0: no, they don't. I don't know dry. what that is.
1: But it's the wax in the pencils that will not allow you to erase very well. You can't remove it once you put it down. Right. Uh, kind of wants to stay in the paper and the coal erase, That's why I say I use it for like mapping out my colors, you know, yeah. my local colors because right. I can remove it if I need to.
0: Yeah, yeah. What would be, like, a number one tip for any artist who is just starting out in colored pencil?
1: Keep your pencils sharp. If All right, that, I love that. You That's will it. have the most successful layering that you can get.
0: Debbie, thank you very, very much for coming on here and coming on the show and sharing so much. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, John and Lisa, for inviting me. I Like I said before, I just can't imagine... <laughs> why I would be worthy of that there's so many other people out there and, you that's know.
0: incredibly silly of you to say that you said <laughs> that before
1: that's
0: ridiculous
1: it, <laughs> I guess I'm always willing for someone to pick what little brain I have oh
0: right <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to continue the discussion, you can head over to Facebook and post your question there in the Colored Pencil Podcast group. If you like the show and would like to leave us a review, you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review and or a rating there. That'll help others find the show. If you want to contact us, as always, you can email us at podcast at And thank you very much for joining us again today. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. Debbie is, let me start that over.
2: Ow. I didn't know I was ready to clap though. I think I did really good time-wise there. you did.
0: You did. (laughs) I'm really proud of you. I was sitting
2: on my hands. I was like, oh wait. (laughs) (laughs) She's also got a lot of tips. English. English.